Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Well, we are going to be in Psalm 86 this morning, so I'll give you a chance to turn there. Like I said, many of you may have been excited to see a little clip of the Lord of the Rings up there, and some of you maybe have never seen the movie, and you didn't even know what that was. But that little clip up there, a character named Erwin from the Lord of the Rings, this idea of accepting a cage. Somewhere along the line, I think many of us have bought into a lie. We've bought into a lie that there are no more giants that need slaying, no more enemies that need routing, no more nations that need conquering, no more miracles to be done, no more wondrous deeds accomplished. And if that's true, and we've accepted that as our reality, I think it would explain a lot. I think it would explain a lot about Christian culture. You can't really blame Christian culture because Christian culture is a byproduct of Christians. What is it we believe and what it is that we're acting out in our lives? And then people look upon it and say, that's Christian culture. See, unlike Tolkien's character, Erwin, she didn't accept the cage. When she was asked, what is it that you fear? She said, a cage. That I would accept it. That I would accept the cage, the prison, and that all chance of valor is beyond recall or desire. And I think for many of us as Christians, we've accepted it. See, we're no longer, earlier we sang Amazing Grace, my chains are gone. I've been set free by Christ. The prison doors are flung wide. And we stepped out and we kind of surveyed things and we looked around and we saw what other Christians were doing and we said, huh. And then we just kind of turned around and walked back inside kind of like the Israelites wanting to go back to slavery in Egypt. Well, at least there was a buffet there. It's comfortable. It's familiar. Accepted. Maybe you've accepted silence from God. Maybe you've accepted that the fullness of our lives is not defined by the king of glory, but instead it's defined by our 9 to 5, by what's in our 401k, by COVID or protest or elections or what's on the news or other mindless, meaningless agendas that won't matter in a hundred years, and in fact, they won't matter in a hundred minutes. They never did. But we bought into that lie. We stepped right back into the cage that Christ set us free from. We've accepted a polite and impotent form of religion, 
we've accepted the pattern of the world. Many of us have. Maybe your next question is, is as the Holy Spirit leans in and maybe presses on you this morning, and I have a lot of people that come after the sermon, they say, that was a convicting sermon today, Pastor. Maybe it's already convicting. Maybe it's already convicting, and your question that's bubbling up is, how can I know? How can I know if I've accepted that as my new reality? And the answer is, is your prayer life. I asked those little kids in Poetry Pals, what are some of the things that you prayed about this week? And if I asked you to write down, what are the things that you prayed about? Would they be giant slaying, army routing, gates of hell wrecking prayers? Would they? You say, oh, that's not for me. Those aren't the kinds of prayers that I pray. Why not? Where along the line did someone convince you that that's not your lot? When did someone convince you that you are not a son or a daughter of the King of Eternity? Who whispered that lie in your ear, and why did you eat it up? Maybe you open up to a psalm like Psalm 86, and you skim through it, and you see that it says, Listen, Lord. Answer me, protect me, save me, be gracious to me, bring joy to my life. And you say, that's exactly the kinds of prayers that I have. It's all about me and my laundry list of wants and desires and needs. And if that's the kind of prayer that David prayed, and he's a man after God's own heart, and he's in the hall of heroes... We're not that different. Close it up and move on. But I want to tell you, that's not what David prayed. You say, Pastor, but you just read it from Psalm 86. I read it out of context. And see, David's prayer life actually translated into giant slaying, army routing, gates of hell wrecking fruit, advancing the kingdom of God, unchangeable, unstoppable. You sang it this morning. And if you don't believe what you sing, then why sing it? Is he an unstoppable God? Or is he not? Is he? Is he manifest in your life to the point that people tremble in fear? 
that the armies of Satan and Satan himself are concerned about you and your prayer life. And therefore, he's got you in his crosshairs. Did you experience any spiritual warfare this week? Or was it just the consequences of bad decisions that you made and then you stuck the spiritual warfare sticker on top of it in order to spiritualize? Oh, I went through a lot of spiritual warfare. At work this week, oh man, I have so much spiritual warfare. People were on me. Is it really spiritual warfare or is it really that you're just not the kind of person that anybody wants to be around. That you run your mouth, that you're not gracious, that you're not kind, that you're not looking for opportunities to minister and to serve and to cultivate relationships. And then you say, that's, that's spiritual warfare. Man. Jesus said, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus said, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to those who will produce fruit. And I wonder, folks, if we had to give an account as individuals, if we had to give an account as a church for the fruit that we're producing... What would Jesus say to us? Acceptance. Have we accepted the cage? As I shared with those kids, maybe it's not a radical change that needs to happen in our lives. For some of us, I think it's true. I think for some of us, I think it is a radical change change that needs to happen. If the extent of your prayer life is praying before meals, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay, Jesus. If that's the extent of your prayer life, or when you go out into public and you want to make a, you know, you want to make a spectacle of your family, hey, everyone, let's all hold hands. Do you do it at home? If you don't do it at home, why are you doing it out in public? If you don't do it at home, if you don't do it with your church family, why do it in public? Well, I want people to know how pious and godly we are. Yes, Lord. Some of us, maybe it is a radical change, but for some of us, maybe it's just that quarter of a turn quarter of a turn of that screw, just a, a little minor adjustment. I kind of gave a little bit of a teaser to those kiddos about Kutal's rainbow modeling clay. The guy that invented it back in the early 1900s, he worked for a company with his brother, they had a contract with Kroger grocery stores to come up with a soot remover 
because electric and gas heaters hadn't been invented yet. Vinyl wallpaper hadn't been invented yet. At least it wasn't mainstream. And Kroger wanted to have a product that they could use to put on walls to remove the soot. And they said, we can do that. We can make that product. We actually have that product, and they didn't. But they knew that there was a lot of money to be made, and they scrambled, and they came up with the product. And it looks a lot like Play-Doh that we have today, except it was white. And what they did is after they created it to clean the soot off of wallpaper, then the invention of the gas and electric heater and vinyl wallpaper made it basically obsolete. Enter the picture, a lady named Kay Zufall. Kay Zufall came along and went to her brother-in-law and said, Hey, uh... She uh, worked for a nursery school. Christmas was coming. I know you're pretty good at making stuff and creating things. And, you know, the kids, we want something that we can make Christmas decorations out of. Could you come up with something? And he ended up giving her the white stuff that he used to clean the soot off the walls. And the kids loved it. They loved playing with it and mashing it and molding it into things put a little color in it, remove the detergent, put a little bit of an almond scent to it, and the kids loved it. They loved it. And he said, we'll call it Kutal's Rainbow Modeling Clay. And she said, oh, heavens no. Don't call it that. And she got together, Kay did, with her husband, and they came up with the name Play-Doh. Play-Doh. Virtually everyone on planet Earth has played with Play-Doh, or at least heard of Play-Doh. And Kay had some connections through the nursery school with the local schools and started distributing Play-Doh to the younger grades. And the kids loved it. They loved playing with it. And then there was a guy named Bob Keeshan. Anybody here know who Bob Keeshan is? No hands go up. What if I were to ask the older folks, do you know who Captain Kangaroo is? We got one hand, one person's being honest. Captain Kangaroo! National television show. And they said to Bob Keishan, Captain Kangaroo, hey Bob, we'll give you 2% of the sales of Play-Doh if you would promote it on your show. So Bob Keishan said yes, Play-Doh went national, and the rest of the story is history. A minor adjustment. What does that have anything to do with Psalm 86? I had no idea where I was going to go with the sermon this week, but I felt like God said, this is it, Kevin. This is the sermon. This is the passage that I want you to go to. So I'm going to do something maybe a little bit different this week. I'm going to read Psalm 86 to you, and I'm going to be throwing out a lot of the original Hebrew words. And I don't know what version of the Bible that you have, what translation you have, but I have to tell you that every time I sit down with my Bible and I read it, I think how sad that our English language is so incapable 
of carrying. It would be like if someone came to you with 10 gallons of water and they said, I want to give all of this to you, John. I want to give you 10 gallons of water and you broke out a mouthwash cup. The mouthwash cup is the English language. And that big old tank, that big old water tower full of good stuff is what God has for us. And he pours it out and our English language holds about that much. And we walk around and we go, yeah, that's good. It's horrible. I'm not saying that the word is flawed. I'm saying that our language is flawed. And you have to go into the original languages. You have to dig in there. And when you do, it's like Calvin and Hobbes. Treasure, treasure everywhere. And if that's not how you feel about God's word when you dive into it, oh, goodness, can I tell you that you're missing out? If I were to tell you, hey, there's something that you could do to just tweak it a little bit that would open this thing up to you, it would be to start looking at the original languages. You don't have to study Hebrew and the grammar and the text and all that. Just look at what the original words mean. See, because somebody else came along Maybe it was a panel of people, it was a group, maybe it was an individual, and they made all of the interpretive decisions for you, Mike. They said, this is what I think Mike should take from this passage. Whether it's the message, whether it's the NIV, the King James, whatever translation you've got, somebody came along because that is not the original text. And then we read it, and we read things like, listen, Lord, and save me, for I am poor and needy. Protect my life. Save me. Be gracious to me. Bring me joy. Me, 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 me. And like I said, we say, yeah, that's a lot what my prayer life sounds like. That's what my prayer life sounds like, and I must be doing it right because that's what David did. Hang in there. If you like to take notes in your Bible... Open it up. Get your pen, your highlighter, your pencil, whatever it is that you got, and get ready. Get ready, everybody. I'm going to take a sip of water because this is going to be good. Are you all ready? I don't think. This is what, one. I'll ask one more time. Like the little kids, I'll say, are you all ready? Yes. I'm excited. I'm excited. It begins with, and some of us would just skip over that, a prayer of David in Hebrew. Uh, And someone who speaks Hebrew is going to say, oh my gosh, he's butchering the language. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That word prayer, tefillah, tefillah. And I read this week, and I was looking at many of the Jewish posts online about what a tefillah is, and they say, well, it's the most common form of prayer. And see, when we think common, right, if something's common, it's mundane, it's ordinary, it's the most common form of prayer. There's nothing special about it. There's nothing special. The reason why it occurs the most number of times is because David loved the Lord, and he used that word so many times. It means an intervention, It means an intercession, and just because it happens a lot doesn't reduce the power of the word. It's an intervention, a prayer of David beseeching God, Almighty Yahweh. That's the word that he uses. Instead of listen, Lord, it's a tefillah of David, natah. 
lower, incline your ear, Yahweh. Why would he say Yahweh? The great I am. Anybody know the reference? When he says Yahweh, what's he referring to? It's the Lord God. See, in Genesis 1, it's Elohim. And in Genesis 2, it becomes Yahweh Elohim, this personal God who condescends from outside of creation and he steps down. (sighs) Earth shaking! God steps down into his creation to dwell with us. Amen? Yahweh. I'm beseeching you. This is my prayer to you, Yahweh. Lower, incline your ear, Yahweh. And he says, please respond. Not answer me. Not like a teenager. Mom, I need you to do this for me. I need you to go out and get me something. Make it snappy. If your kid talks to you that way, by the way, come and talk to me after the service. I'll have some tips for you. He says, God, lower, incline your ear, Yahweh, for I am afflicted and destitute. Verse 2, shamar. That's the word going all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 again. It says, protect, in my translation, protect my life. Guard, keep, watch over. Isn't that what God said that the man was supposed to do in the garden? For his bride, his wife, his woman, Eve, that God had yet to create. He said, there's two things that I want you to do, Vincent. I want you to minister to her, and I want you to shamar. Abad and shamar. That's what I want you to do. That's your your function. I want you to abad and shamar. And he calls out to God, David does, and he says, God, I want you to shamar over me. I want you to guard and keep watch over my soul, my life. Now, English translation says, for I am faithful. I have a hard time picturing David approaching God and saying, I need you to do this because I'm faithful. I need you to do this, God. See, look at me. I'm faithful. And so you better do your part because I'm doing my part. I got a problem with that because that's not David's heart. See, in the Hebrew here, and maybe there's a Hebrew scholar out there that might send me a scathing text or email, but from what I read and what I understand is that David doesn't make an assertion. He actually asks a question. Watch the subtlety of this. Keep watch over my soul, not for... I am godly, but for am I godly? Am I like you? And I think David's answer would be, only to the extent, only to the extent that I serve you, that I give my life to you, because that's exactly what he says. Am I godly? In Hebrew, it actually expects a negative response. And then he goes on to say, deliver, rescue your servant who trusts in you because you are my 
In Hebrew, that word is Elohim. So he's called him Yahweh, his personal God, but then he backs it up a little bit. And this next reference, he says, you are my Elohim. You are my creator. You're my creator, so I need you to watch over me because I'm not you. Am I God? I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I need you to watch over me. I'm going to make mistakes, God. Keep me on a short leash. Reel me in when I start to wander. If I go to the left or to the right, send someone like Nathan to come along and slap me upside the head. In our churches today, if someone provides a little bit of correction, if a brother or sister points something out, how do we respond? Is it like David? Do we tear our clothes Do we shave our heads like Job? Do we repent or do we get angry? Who do you think you are? Judge not lest you be judged. Two snaps up. Come on now. That's how we act. We don't want anybody telling us. We're Americans, right? You don't get to tell me, Vivian. I'm an American. I'm independent. Not only am I American, but I'm a Baptist. See, we're Protestants. free. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. Don't come alongside me, Mike, with any of that. Tell me I need to apologize to somebody. You're my God, and I trust in you. Verse 3, that Hebrew word, kanan, show favor. Show favor to me, God. It means to condescend. I want you to step down from that lofty throne that you're upon. That's where you belong, and that's who you are. The God of eternal glory. And I'm asking, I'm pleading with you. This is my tefillah. It's my prayer. And I'm asking you, God, not for me, but for your glory, would you condescend? Would you encamp? Would you tabernacle with me? Not for my purpose, but for yours, God. We would say, in my translation, it says, be gracious to me, God. Condescend and camp tabernacle with me as, not because I did something, but as I, kara in Hebrew, as I make you famous. See, that idea of calling out to you all day long, it's not calling out to you like I'm just going to harp on you, God. God, I need you. 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 I'm just going to keep tugging and tugging. God, I need you. God, I need you. It's I'm going to make you famous all day long. I'm going to pray without ceasing. That's what I'm going to do, God. And as I do that, you will condescend. You will encamp. You will tabernacle with me. As I make you famous all day long. Are y'all tracking with me? Maybe it's just a little tweak. Maybe it's just a little tweak. Maybe it's a radical transformation. Verse 4, the psalmist says, in my translation, it says, bring joy. That verb in Hebrew, samak. Samak. Bring joy. Make merry my life, my soul, of your servant, See, if I'm your servant and I'm asking you, God, if you would bring joy into my life, as I, 
lift you up. So as I'm lifting you up in praise and in prayer and in glory, as I'm doing that, God, you bring joy to my life. Are you missing joy? Is your soul not merry? Because if it's missing something, if you're not experiencing joy, if you're not being merry, maybe it's because you're not lifting up your life as an offering. God, this is all of me. This is all of me for you. And whatever my circumstances are, whatever I'm going through, I can always do this. I'm not going to choose the cage. I'm not going to forego valor. I'm not going to accept that as the fullness of my Christian walk. I'm not. I'm not going to accept an hour on Sunday being around polite people, smiling, waving, nodding. That was it, man. How pathetic would that be? I love y'all. But this is not the fullness. This is not 100% of the Christian life. If it doesn't translate in going out those doors into fruit production, lifting up his name, heaping glory upon God so that the lost, deluded, and disillusioned see him in my life, then what? <laughs> Why? Do you think you get brownie points from God for playing the part? I think he has more respect for people who are atheists than people who pretend to be Christians. See, because the religious leaders of Jesus' day, Jesus didn't say, man, you guys, man, y'all are, I'm really proud of you for being hypocrites. I'm really proud of you for washing the outside of the cup and making it pretty. I am really proud of you guys for keeping up the outside of the temple but not letting anybody come in. I'm so proud of you. Jesus didn't say that. Bring joy to my life, God. And then in verse 5, this is where the shift starts to begin to take. David says, for you, Adonai... That's his word for God, the Lord, in verse 5. So he's gone Yahweh, he's gone Elohim, and now he's gone Adonai, Master, Sovereign Lord, Ruler of all things. For you, you are goodness. Sweet, sweet goodness. Not just that you are good. You're goodness. If it's good, it comes from you. You're Tob. That's that Hebrew word for sweet goodness. Psalm 23, what does he say? Surely Tob and Kessid will pursue hard after me all the days of my life. He's saying, surely sweet goodness and Kessid love, that covenant loyalty of God. See, it's going to pursue hard after me all the days of my life because I've made a decision that I'm going to dwell in your house forever. So how could it not pursue after me? How could I not bathe and bask in it, God? For you, Adonai, you are Tob, your sweet goodness. 
Your forgiveness is abounding in kessed love, that covenant loyalty to all who cut all, who proclaim, who announce, who make famous. You! And then in verse 6, give an ear to my prayer, to my tefillah, Yahweh. Give an ear to my tefillah and attend to the voice of my supplication, my plea. Doesn't it just sound different? Doesn't it just sound different than our English translations? Somebody dumbed it down for us, and they said they're not going to understand that. Somebody made it really simple. We'll just paraphrase. We'll just paraphrase it for you. Get into the languages, folks. Look up the words. See what they mean. Don't buy what somebody else is telling you. Verse 7. In the day of my sarah, my trouble, my distress, in the day of my sarah, I will kara. I will proclaim, announce, make you famous. And I know, God, that you will respond to me. See, because as I'm doing that, God can't help but respond. God doesn't sit there and say, Angela is making me famous. I'm not going to do anything about that. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to wander off over here. If we're dedicating our lives to God, if we are lifting them up as an offering to God, God is going to respond. Do you get that? Do we get that? And how does that influence, how does that empower your prayer life? If you know God is going to respond, as you lift up your life, as you heap glory upon him, as you proclaim his name, as you look for giants that need slaying, his mission and kingdom to be advanced. And we know, how does that change your prayer life? Does it? Verse 8. Adonai, Lord, there's none like you among the gods. See, because all the other gods, they're false. So of course there's none like you. And because there's none like you, then there are no works like your works, God. Verse 9. All the peoples, all the nations, all the gaoyim in Hebrew, who you've made, they will come and they will worship you, Adonai. And they will glorify, make weighty. That word, glorify your name, it means to make something heavy, to make it weighty. What's the last thing that you ever did that made much, that made, brought weight, glory to the name of God. Verse 10, for you are great and you do supremely wondrous and extraordinary things. Not just great things, right? We sit there and we use the word great. How was that burger? It was great. I loved it. How's your God? He's great. My God, the Bible says he's great, so he must be great. So God and your cheeseburger, about the same? Supremely wondrous and extraordinary things. And then it goes on, and we sang this this morning, you are God alone. Once again, you are Elohim. You are the creator of all things. 
You spoke the cosmos into existence. Verse 11. If I started losing you, I want to bring you back, okay? I want to bring you back. Verse 11. We're getting close. When's the last time in your prayers you said this to God? Teach me. The youngsters that are in here that, you know, maybe go to public schools before COVID struck, maybe even if you're homeschooled, you're like, oh, I hate school. I hate school. I hate it. I hate this subject and that subject, and the only subject that I like is recess and lunch. That's all I like. So the idea of teaching makes me think of school, and it makes me think of narcolepsy, right? Teach me, God. Oh, God, please don't teach me anything. I'm gonna, you're going to lose me. Let's just have fun, right? Let's make it loud and exciting and obnoxious, and let's just, you know, lots of sugar, lots of pizza. Let's amp it up. Let's, come on, Andrew. We're going to get you an electric guitar so you can grind on it up here, man. Wake everybody up. Teach me. Seriously, though, when's the last time you said that to God? Yahweh, that word teach doesn't mean what we think it means. You know, teacher up at the board, 2 plus 2 is 4, 4 plus 4 is 8, 8 plus 8 is 16, and I want everyone to know as, the, as we're talking about the crucial, important matters of the day, and, and everybody's like, <laughs> no, it's this idea of a personal tutor, someone who would take your finger as you're playing an instrument, and they would say, no, Jack, not there, it's like this. It, oh, okay, I got it. Yeah, it's this personal pointing out. God, I want you to be my personal tutor. I want you to be this personal, intimate God that shows me the intimate details of my life that need correction and adjustment. I want you, God. See, that's what David says. Teach me. Teach me not ways. He says, teach me your way, your Derek. Singular, so that I will come and go, I will walk in your truth. As you teach me, God, that's what I'm going to walk in, and what it's going to produce in me is an undivided, united heart. That's what it's going to do. And I'll fear your name, God. When you undivide my heart, I'm going to know who you are, and then I'm going to fear your name. And then in verse 12, I will yada, I will cast thanks upon you. My English translation, I will praise you. That doesn't mean praise. Take a picture of someone sitting there with a shovel and throwing it. Big snow shovel. I used to live up in upstate New York. I was a little kid, so I probably didn't lift the big snow shovel like my dad but it's that big heaping shovel. God, I'm going to cast my thanksgiving upon you. I'm going to shovel it upon you, God. And as I do that, as I cast it upon God, imagine there's this invisible thing over here, and I'm digging into flour, and I'm throwing it. And the thing that's invisible that's standing over here, as the flour rains down, what happens? Does it stay invisible? 
you start to see the outline. And the more flour I throw on it, the more of the details you begin to see. That's what David's saying. I want to heap thanksgiving upon you, God, to the point that you become evident, you become revealed, you become apparent to those who are out there that don't know you. And all of a sudden, someone sits there and goes, I see God. I see God as Kevin is up there heaping thanksgiving upon the Lord. When's the last time you did that? Where's the fruit? Verse 13, for your faithful love, your kessed love, is gadol. It's greatness. It's severe. It's lofty. It's loud. It's vast. It's marvelous. It's extreme. I'm losing my voice. Your greatness is vast towards me, God. Me. You've rescued me. You rescued my life from the depths of Sheol. Verse 14. Elohim. See, we miss it in English because we don't hear all of the rhyming parts. Elohim, the Zadim, are an Arzim. And that means God, Almighty, the Eternal One, the presumptuous, the proud, they've risen up against me as a terrible mob, and they're seeking my life. But David sees it as an opportunity. What's going to happen if someone's seeking your life and your job at work? That person's gunning for me. They're gunning for me, so here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to get them before they get me. Or, as David said, as those people are focused on me, what they're going to see is I'm heaping loads and loads of praise and thanksgiving upon my God because he delivered my life from Sheol. And God is going to be revealed to them because they're focused on me. You're like, eh, that sounds okay, but getting the promotion sounds better. Verse 15, but you, Adonai, you, Master, you, Sovereign Lord, you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and fidelity and truth. Verse 16, Panah, turn to me, God. Show favor, be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. See, God, because if I have your strength, what can't I do? What can't I do if I'm equipped with the strength of God? Have you ever gone out and done ministry and said, man, I just feel so beat down? I'm exhausted. I'm just spent, man. That's because you're ministering from your strength and your power. You're ministering or you're trying to minister from a deficit rather than an infinite surplus of God. Because it never ends. It's unextinguishable. I don't even know if that's a word. Maybe I just made it up. It's unending, God. You're unchangeable, unfathomable. Give me your strength, God, to your servant and deliver the son of your maidservant. And here's where he wraps it up in 17. 
I saw, reveal, show me a sign of your sweet goodness, your tobe, that those who hate me, those who are focused on me, will see your goodness. And what's it going to do? It's not going to cause them to be shamed. It's going to cause them to be ashamed. There was this Roman soldier, the day of the cross, and he went along with everybody else. And he did what his commander told him to do. And he was there contributing to the death of our Lord. And at the end of it, when the veil was torn and the earth shook, and the skies were blackened, his focus was on the man that was upon the cross. And he looked up and he said, Surely, this man was the Son of God. See, when the focus of our lives is absolute obedience, when the Zedim, the presumptuous ones, rise up as a terrible mob and they seek our lives and we call out to God and we lift them up as an offering to Him, And we pray to him, God, intervene, be gracious to me. Not saying I want the new car, I want the promotion at work. I want people who are lost to come to know you, God. That's why I'm still here. You gave me a purpose. You're giving me an opportunity to glorify you, to heap thanksgiving upon you, God. God, I saw, reveal, show me a sign of Tobe, sweet goodness, that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Yahweh, you've helped me. You've comforted me. That's the cross of Christ, folks. Maybe your prayer life needs a radical transformation. Maybe, I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. Maybe it just needs a subtle shift. Maybe it just needs a little tweak. But the one thing that I want you to walk away from today is I don't want you to accept the cage. I don't want you to accept the cage when he died in order to set us free. Why walk out and say my chains are gone, I've been set free, and then turn around And pray pathetic prayers, live an impotent life, produce no fruit, and have Jesus on the day of reckoning say to you, show me the fruit. Show me the harvest of your relationship with me. And we say, well, you know, there was this scholarship that I was working on, or, you know, there was this job that I had, or, you know, I was studying really hard for my fourth PhD, or I was doing this. There aren't any excuses Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Will you squander it? Will you make his name famous? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've given us your word and that you allow us to peel it back and to dig and dive in and to find treasure, treasure everywhere, more precious than gold.
God, help us to believe that. Help us to see it. Help us to break those chains. If we've been delivered by you, then let's not accept the cage. Let us break forth out. Let us heap glory and thanksgiving upon you, God, that those who are lost, that they would see us heaping praise and your goodness and your compassion upon us, the way you respond, and that they would see you in great detail, God. And like that Roman soldier, that they would say, surely, surely that Jesus is the Son of God. I don't know what the Lord has spoken to you today, if anything at all. I pray that he has. And during this time of invitation, this time of response, it's quite simply that. It's a time to respond. But this can't be the fullness of your response. But I don't want you to leave it out either. If you feel like the Holy Spirit's saying, I want you to go forward. I want you to take a step of faith. Maybe you haven't even ever done that before. Maybe you've never come up here. There's nothing magical about it. But just lean in and say, Holy Spirit, is that something you want me to do this morning? Because if you can't respond here, as we've said before, how are you going to respond out there? Whatever it means, whatever it looks like, I pray that you would. I pray that you'd respond this morning.